Welcome to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman from Waco, Texas. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith from New York City. Each week we get together to talk about the readings for the upcoming Sunday. We hope to help both the sermon prepping pastor as well as everybody, since we all need to find that thread of grace, the gospel, throughout the scriptures. So dust off your Bible. Let's jump in. Same old song, the lectionary podcast by Mockingbird Ministries. For people who are preachers or hearers of sermons or people that are just interested in the readings for this coming Sunday and want to get a little leg up on what we got going on. As always, I'm uh, co-hosting this uh, with Jacob Smith, the rector of Calvary St. George's in New York City. And my name is Aaron Zimmerman, the rector of St. Albans Episcopal Church in Waco, Texas. And... uh, Lover of uh, Take Five candy bars, the best mm. uh, one around. I've got a stash in my desk to keep me going. What do you have, Jake? What's your uh, guilty pleasure? Um, well, the question is, is what isn't my guilty pleasure when it comes <laughs> to those things? So uh, um, I don't uh, think I've met a candy bar or a donut that I didn't actually like. So, <laughs> well, I love that's very gracious of you. You don't, um, you know, you don't rank or judge. You just mm. eat them all, mm. like Homer Simpson. That's right. That's right. <laughs> You know, one of my favorite Homer Simpson, and it actually crossed my mind uh, um, to do um, in light of New Year's was, is that, so I currently have a gym membership across the street, but there is a 24-hour gym, like, Mm -hmm. um, across just a couple blocks away, and there was a great episode, do you remember when Homer Simpson joined the 24-hour gym and started working out at three in the three in the morning and he ate everything in bar form and it was just amazing. And uh, I was like, maybe that could work for me. So anyway, I have been in light of the new year contemplating uh, joining the 24 hour gym. So I think that's awesome. I think you got a book deal, potentially some DVDs that could come out of that. I think that's your, it's your next, your next chapter, your next Zumba, phase of life, Jake. Zumba all the time, the gospel according to Zumba. So, and that, that's, right. that's a perfect segue into the prophet Isaiah, chapter 62, verses 1 through 5. Just like reading. we scripted it. <laughs> exactly. This is the plan all along. So, yeah, we're, we're heading into the second Sunday after the Epiphany. So, as you all know, faithful listeners, we're in the season of Epiphany, which is a word that means revealing. You know, as we use that phrase, I've had an Epiphany. I finally understood something. Mm. And so Jesus' identity is getting revealed. Uh, he... Um, he was baptized uh, in this season. We read about that. And now here we are with some readings from Isaiah, 1 Corinthians, and the second chapter of John. So let's start it out. Look in this Isaiah 62. Now, uh, Jake, what's going on here in this passage? Well, I think, you know, Isaiah 62, you're moving towards the third section of Isaiah. And um, uh, this uh, is like, as we talked about in previous weeks, uh, where a word of faith needs to come in. You have to believe what you hear as opposed to what you see. And here um, Israel lies in rubble, um, a broken bride, yet, um, well, because of her harlotry, we'll just say it, but uh, um, God finds something beautiful about her and is going to be calling her and has called her as his bride. And he says all of these powerful adjectives and speaks to her uh, tenderly. But you begin to see that what is going to come in this Messiah is that the war between humanity, the war between Israel and God is officially over. Yeah, and I think 
one thing in terms of preaching this, at least a direction that I would probably want to go in, is just to help people. Because this is a very Bible-y passage. Yeah. I mean, it begins by talking about Zion and Jerusalem. And Isaiah is just, it's a long book. It's a dense book. It's not one that, other than the passages and Handel's Messiah, it's not a book that many people are familiar with. So I think just talking about who Israel was, as you said, a harlot and what their, you know, what that idolatry was like. Why is Israel forsaken and why was uh, Zion desolate? Mm-hmm. Um, why was Jerusalem in rubble? And I think, you, you know, you can talk about the ways we find desolation in our own lives and how there's so much of a message out there that, you know, you need to get the 24-hour gym membership. Mm-hmm. You need to get it together um, and uh, cut out all refined sugar and um, make sure you're not living the sedentary lifestyle that mm. you and I have perfected. Um, and, uh, and so, but here, there's none of that. It's, it's God is doing everything. Mm. God will call her by a new name. Uh, and it says the mouth of the Lord will give. It's not, mm. you know, it, you've probably, I, I had a friend once who, uh, and I've had several friends over the course of the year, their lives have renamed themselves try to rebrand themselves, yeah. you know, come up with a new identity. And God says, no, no, this is not your your project. I am the one that's doing this. I will give you the new name. It will come from my mouth. Mm-hmm. And then, um, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, there's, there's an imputation there. There's calling something beautiful that isn't, uh, and in doing so, redeeming Israel. Yeah, you know, No Effects is a very uh, powerful song um, called Bob. It's um, off their um, classic album, White Trash, Two Heaps and a Bean. And uh, the song is all about a guy who um, named Bob, who is basically a drunkard, but um, needs to uh, find his freedom. And so and uh, and uh, he tries to give himself his own identity, which is a complete disaster because he um, he uh, becomes this straight edge skinhead. But in the end, he can't hold it together. And that's what the whole song is about. And the truth is, is that. We can't hold our identities together. They're constantly cracking and they're constantly being pulled um, in in several different directions. Um, but nonetheless, this is this is this is the type of bride that our Lord chooses to take, you know, um, and this is if you want to talk about preaching and looking at this from a whole. This is one of those this is one of those few Sundays where all three texts really naturally just kind of come together. But uh, you begin to see that, like, God is not interested in the beautiful bride. Uh, God is interested in the bride that is wayward, um, whom he declares beautiful and whom he makes beautiful. And yeah. uh, and he is the one who rejoices over that, uh, yeah. not because of anything that bride has done, but because God has chosen that bride. Yeah, and of course, I'm thinking about Gene Simmons here as an illustration, <laughs> because uh, I've been listening to our friend Dave Zoll's podcast, Well of Sound, cheap plug, uh, amazing uh, little podcast about rock and roll. And I learned something I didn't know, that Gene Simmons, his real name was like Kayim or something, and he was just this picked on, bullied, kind of loser of a kid, uh, growing up in uh, kind of a poor neighborhood in Brooklyn, uh, before Brooklyn was trendy, and I mean, long, long time ago. and. And so he created this new identity mm. uh, to try to get, essentially get affection. I mean, all all Kiss songs are about, you know, yeah. these fantasies about rock and roll and women, and they're kind of horrible. But, um, you know, he's just this broken little guy who's trying to use makeup and and pyrotechnics to, to create a new identity. And I think all of us in some way, uh, not all, a lot of people, we try to do that. And this passage is that, no, you can take the masks off. You can take the black and white makeup off. You can take the platform uh, boots off. You can just 
you can be Kayam from Brooklyn, the little kid that was picked on, mm. and, the, and you and you're loved. And that's and the, you know one of the things in this passage is that there's beautiful emotional language too. Like yeah. I mean, Ro, you you and I can both make fun of Jesus is my boyfriend music till the cows come home, and uh, that sort of sometimes overly emotional language. But nevertheless, here there's really beautiful, touching emotional language. Um, the Lord delights in you. Um, mm. and says that God feels about you and me the way a groom rejoices over his bride. Um, and I think that's it's really good. powerful because most, most people don't really feel loved by God. They know it yeah. as some doctrinal point, but they don't really feel like God delights in them. That's really helpful, especially for Kiss uh, late 90s or early 90s, late 90s without the makeup. You remember when they that's went right. through that like very romantic phase? And I thought yes. it was horrible, but you know, God loves them just the way they are. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but this, uh, this really is a perfect segue once again now into uh, our reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, one of the things, one of the big deceptors that can happen in a church is that somehow you can get a new identity apart from that from Jesus, an identity based on some sort of superpower and supernatural gift. And, um, and uh, this passage has been misused and abused throughout the centuries to create levels within the church, uh, those with spiritual gifts versus those who don't have them. And uh, this is a huge, huge mistake and a misinterpretation of this passage. Actually, uh, St. Paul offers a corrective here when he says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit, and there are a variety of services, but the same Lord, and there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. And, uh, you know, and this is once again, Paul is like really stressing home uh, the fact that um, uh, that Paul is stressing that your identity is found in Jesus. And when we talk about spiritual gifts, oftentimes there's a huge mistake in the fact that it's um, somehow that is my identity. No, the giver of the gift is your identity. Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, the teaching on spiritual gifts, and we touched on this a little bit uh, in previous conversations, there's often this hierarchy of Christians. You know, are you a, are you kind of a level one Christian, level two, or are you kind of a super Christian? Uh, and spiritual gifts is often the way in some communities where that's identified. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, all human communities do this, right? We yeah. rank everybody and who's the best and whatnot. So, <clears throat> but, but what's wonderful about what Paul says is that before he even begins to talk about spiritual gifts, as you said, he begins with their wounds. He begins, don't forget where you came from, Corinthians. Yes. Uh, you were pagans, and you were worshiping bricks and logs and rocks. And so let's not, before you think you're all special because of your spiritual gifts, just remember where you came from. And just remember that the greatest gift is being able to confess Jesus as Lord. And you couldn't even do that with yes. the Holy Spirit doing it in you. That's right. And I think that that really begins to tell us something about where spiritual gifts are found. You know, so oftentimes, you know, if you um, have ever been involved in a church or involved in something where you've had to fill out a Scantron form in order to discover your spiritual gifts, you know, you're a, a tongues helper with lots of faith kind of person. That is like the I'm an encourager, thing. Jacob, and your beard looks great today. <laughs> I took Thank the spiritual you. gifts inventory. I did inventory. use oil today, and it smells amazing. For the first just, time in weeks, I don't smell chicken constantly. <laughs> but um, <laughs> the sheen, 
How happy are those? The oil running down the beard and That's the collar the of the robe. That's the kind of glory, also there known as you know beard oil. But um, <laughs> uh, the uh, the point is is that your gifts will be found not in your strength, but the gift oftentimes is found in your wound, uh, where you're broken. That's where God is at work. You know, it's in your wound where you will discover your tongue or your word of prophecy and encouragement. And yep. uh, and this is the very powerful thing. And you know, when we're working out of our wounds, uh, this is uh, this is the one thing we all have in common as humans. We're yep. all scarred, and yep. uh, and this is what ultimately binds us together. And we discover and, and- that it's that same spirit um, working in us and uh, allotting those gifts as the spirit chooses. That's right, and uh, you know I, it's wonderful how God um, here is named as the one who gives these, who activates these gifts in everyone. Mm. Um, and also, Paul wants to remind people that these gifts are not for you to feel good about yourself or to feel better than other people. He's they are for the common good, and that's another big corrective um, for a lot of mm. ways these gifts have been practiced or taught about in the past. Um, they're not for you to feel special. They're for the benefit of the church. Yes, that's right. Amen. And by the way, if you if you're preaching out there, preachers on this passage, um, there's a lot of this First Corinthians 12 stuff. Uh, the rest of chapter 12, and then into chapter 13. If you want to do a little series on this, um, uh, you could do that. And it's it's I think helpful because it all leads up to First Corinthians 13. You know, the greatest of these is love, and that big passage that everybody knows from every wedding. Mm-hmm. Ever, um, I mean, that's the passage in the Liz Lemon reading on Thirty Rock when uh, I think Wesley Snipes gets married, or for one of her boyfriends gets married. Yeah. She goes to do the reading, and it's this passage. So everybody knows First Corinthians thirteen, but they don't realize it's part of a conversation on spiritual gifts. So if you wanted to do something on that, um, it's it's laying the groundwork here. So just you know, you can think ahead if you want to do that. That's great. You can also cross-reference spiritual gifts in Romans chapter twelve and Ephesians chapter four, and so. Jake Smith, living concordance. Yep, absolutely. Actually, no. I've just I've I've thought a lot about spiritual gifts. And anyway, because um, you don't have any, but we're going to move. Yeah, that we don't have any. But uh, we're going to be moving to John <laughs> chapter two before I share what I actually think. So anyway, um, uh, John chapter two is probably one of the most famous chapters in John's gospel. Um, if you know you're looking at it, you know John has a lot. There's a lot going on there. John is an onion that you just keep peeling and peeling and peeling, and you find more goodness. Um, and uh, uh, and your eyes begin to water with joy as you go through this thing. Uh, but one of the things is, is when you come You're to the You're pushing the metaphor really hard, Jake. I, know. <laughs> I actually dragged that horse. It was already dead. And then we caramelized yeah. the layers. And then I just kicked it. And so anyway, but... Uh, um, uh, John chapter two, um, for those of you guys who want one of the one of the themes is this concept of like seven days and it's running throughout John's gospel. And uh, actually, if you break it down, uh, beginning in John chapter one, in the 19th verse, you have day one. And then in the 23rd verse, you have day two. In the 35th verse, you have day three. And in the 42nd verse, you have day four. And then you come to John chapter two, and it says on the third day. So you add that all together, you've got the seventh day. So you have like a very profound one thing that sets the setting is, is that this is kind of an image of the end as well, where the Son of Man will be at a heavenly banquet. And you see, you begin to see this all tied together um, with uh, the Isaiah reading, um, a heavenly banquet where Christ is present and the uh, party just doesn't stop. That's right. Uh... Um, 
I got a feeling that tonight is going to be a good, good night, um, to quote the Black Eyed Peas. So, and, and you're right, uh, Jake, to begin with the kind of allusions to the seven days of creation, because John begins this gospel with the phrase, in the beginning, mm-hmm. and was the word. And so that's a clear reference to Genesis. So, so John is, you're picking up what he's laying down, and it is there. And I think... Um, you know, if if you're talking about the Sabbath rest of God, you know, that's the place where if you go back to Eden, um, there's, uh, I mean, gosh, it's perfection. There's no shame. There's no fear. Uh, and there's just enjoyment of each other and of God. So, so, so what, a, what, a, what, a, what better way to show that than a wedding where Jesus makes the party just keep going and going and going? Well, can you tell us a little bit about wedding uh, ceremonies in those days, Aaron, and uh, kind of what made them amazing? Yeah, usually. So there was a DJ uh, who would come and play a lot of the hits of the 80s and 90s, uh, a lot of early hip hop. And uh, and it was awesome. There was always a time for the electric slide. Um, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, they would these these parties would go on for days and days and days. Yeah, they it'd be a like week long little, thing. I mean, the, yeah. the, the, the chicken dance happened about nine or ten times in, <laughs> yeah. the, in the course of one wedding yeah. reception because it was that long. And all of a sudden, you know, they are uh, drinking wine and um, and they're probably I mean, they had about as much wine as at a Mockingbird conference and uh, <laughs> it runs out and um, it, it runs out. And this is a really big deal. Yeah. So and there there would be major cause for embarrassment for the host of the party. I mean, this this is the biggest faux pas you can think of uh, running out of this uh, wine at a party. And we had this really interesting reaction. Um Jesus's mother, uh, who may be friends of the family or something like that. And by the way, I think it, there's a wonderful piece of the incarnation here, just that Jesus mm-hmm. is at a wedding. Yeah. Uh, and you can go to Cana today and you can walk those hilly streets and see the church that's dedicated to this, this wedding. Um, but, uh, uh, it's, it, it's just so, it's, I mean, think about every wedding you've been to the, the kids running around and the drunk uncle and, uh, the gossiping aunts or whatever, but Jesus is in the mix with this. And it's just such a family dynamic that his mom comes to him and says, you know, Hey, Yeshua, can you help, help us out here? Um, and he, again, very interestingly says, (laughs) uh, not right now, mom. Yeah. And, uh, it's not, it's, this isn't my thing, but she pushes back. Yeah. Well, I love that. The question would be is like, why would Jesus say that? And I think that's because so often we try and look at Jesus. And this is what you can hit on as preachers is like we we look for Jesus for a temporal fix. You know what I mean? Oh, things are going well here. Jesus, why aren't you fixing it? You know, oh, my pledge campaign isn't going what I thought it should go. Come on, Jesus, why aren't you fixing it? And like, we, we see Jesus as this kind of like, you know, um, like a sky butler or something like that, or, you know, somebody like a handyman who's supposed to just kind of fix the little problems of life. And he's like, man, this is not what I'm here for. Like, you know, I'm yeah. not here to fix the little problem. You've got a bigger problem that you're facing, and that's uh, sin and death and uh, the and devil. So, yeah. And so, but what's amazing is, so he, he does go ahead and fix the problem. Yeah, sure. But he does it in a way that points at the much bigger mission that he's here to accomplish. So he could have, he could have fixed this any way he wanted, you know, mm-hmm. um, he could have not involved anyone else in it. He could have snapped his fingers or like bewitched, wiggled his nose. And those six stone jars could have immediately filled with wine. He could have... Uh, just had everybody's wine glass immediately refill or something. I mean, I don't know. The punch bowls could have been refilled. He could have done this any number of ways, but he does it in a way that's very intentional. He he wants people to know what happened. 
He wants the servants to know what happened because the servants, again, Jesus is always interested in what the, the people on the margins are picking up. That's why he appears, or that's why, you know, the angels appear to shepherds as we just came out talking about the whole Christmas story. Um, so he tell, he gets the servants involved and he says, take these jars that are used for ritual purification. So uh, these are jars for washing, for people to keep obedience to the dietary restrictions in Judaism. So they're kind of a representation of the law. Yep. And instead he turns them into, uh, I don't know, like a kegerator or something. Like he turns them into something that's for partying. Um, the, this is like the, the most obedient. amazing wine anybody's ever tasted too. This is not like barefoot or yellowtail or any of that. I mean, this is like a Chateau Chablis, like uh, 2003. This is uh, this is killer stuff, and uh, and you know, and the good is always at the end with Jesus. Uh, that's right, and and I think you know, I I always have a hard time not talking about the extravagance of the mm. miracle. He doesn't just do one stone jar, which would have been thirty gallons. Just doesn't do two sixty gallons. That still seems like a lot. I've never had a party with sixty gallons of wine. Mm. Um, but Jesus instead says, take six of those huge things. I mean, if you think about carrying around. Have you carried out a five-gallon bucket of water, Jake? Uh, I mean, get that orange Home Depot buckets. Five gallons, I can barely lift the thing. And so this is 20 gallons in one big clay jar. They would have had to have a dolly. I mean, these are multiple servants all, carting these things around and filling them up with water. All of a sudden, you realize why the crowds really begin to follow Jesus. They're like, <laughs> like woo! Major rave last week with DJ Jesus. Come back next week. He'll be in uh, in in Capernaum. They're like, damn, that was a party. Jesus yeah. is gonna be there. <laughs> so, but that's exactly right. And and he does it. And he's so sneaky and wonderful. There's this great Rowan Atkinson bit. Oh, uh, I you love know, that Mr. one. Bean, Google where it he dresses now. up like an yeah. Google Rowan Atkinson, John chapter two. And uh, he says, and you know, they brought the water to the steward of the feast who tasted it and knew not whence it came. But the servants, they knew whence it came. And they turned to the Lord and they spake unto him, how the hell did you do that? And all believed that he was an all around wonderful entertainer. <laughs> that's right. So that's good. Right. But I think, you know, so. I think one thing to remember is, is that this is a sign. Um, yes. This is a sign. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and it points to a greater reality. And that is, uh, the bridegroom is coming for his bride. Uh, the other thing, too, if you want to really hit hit this home, is, is that the profound miracle here is that what it says in the very last, the end of this reading, and his disciples believed in him. And, uh, and indeed, uh, when you were at the wedding banquet, and this is what Jesus has come to do, he's mm. come to give you faith in him because he is true and everlasting life. And uh, no one can say that without the Holy Spirit. And... Uh, and really, that's good news. He has come to you to give you Himself and uh, and to give you His and to give you faith in Him, because uh, this is all going to end in the greatest party ever. That's right. And I think you know the the theme that I see across these three passages. Of course, you can pick just one and do it. But the theme that I see, if you want to tie them all together, is um, the way that God takes people who have, as we've said, wounds or brokenness. I mean, take God takes sinners. And he brings redemption and healing, not because of anything they do, but because of what God does. So yeah. with the people in Jerusalem, in rubbles, God decides to call them 
his bride, not mm-hmm. because they deserve it, but because he loves them. Mm-hmm. And in First Corinthians, people have these amazing spiritual gifts, not because they're so great. They were pagans who were worshiping, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mute idols. And of course, in John chapter two, Jesus has this evangelistic event where people come to faith in him without preaching a sermon in the midst of drunkenness. I mean, it's a party It's and people are into their cups. Like this is, you know, as a party begins, it's sort of like the room is still sort of clean and people mm. don't look, people still look good. But then like three hours into the party, everybody looks <laughs> like it's like day of the living dead. And, you know, somebody's standing a little bit too close to this other person and uh, the, just people are loud and slurring. And that's where Jesus does his work. So it's all about people who are sinners. It's people that are humans and they're loved by God. And even in those environments, and especially in those environments, God's love comes and does something amazing. Amen. And it's coming to you as well. And it's come to you. So uh, that's all we have for this week. Um, if you like us, if uh, you'd like to make a donation and uh, give to Mockingbird, we are taking fingers this week. So um, um, just uh, send us your finger. Send Dave Zola finger to Charlottesville. So he'd be thrilled. So God bless you all. And we'll see you next week. Uh, unsubscribe. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you like what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.